What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with Grant Hughes, diving back into that off-season grade grind with two divisions that could become wildly outdated for a few teams if any if certain transactions go down but we press on anyway we're gonna we'll have the atlantic division for you today pacific will be up the the day after but we asked the question that we care about most first grant how how are you doing it's been more than three days since we spoke face to face which at this point has become quite a quite a while for us yeah i had some withdrawals uh, i won't i won't i won't sugarcoat it it was difficult um i am excited to do uh because we are i don't know if the listeners know we are a pair of coastal elites we are on opposite coasts but that's you know let's not run from who we are uh so i like doing the atlantic and the pacific together because it just you save the best for last uh, sorry flyover states that's just that's just what we believe we're just coastal elites I, I will say, though, like this time, it's not for me because I almost don't want to do the Atlantic because <laughs> yeah. like there's the Nets, there's the Knicks and there's the Raptors. And between those three teams, like even the Sixers have been mentioned in the Durant sweepstakes and the Knicks are involved with Donovan Mitchell. I'm just like, this is also pointless because those would be such a big part of those grades. But look, we waited until late August. Like once you get to September, it's just that's on them for not making the moves already. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, the odds are that at least two of these Atlantic division teams will just be completely different. And I remember back in July when I, for Bleacher Report, I did offseason grades basically right after free agency was mostly calming down. I said something on the Nets section of like, let's forget about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for now. And all, everybody commented like, what do you mean? Said, well, what do you want me to do? They, like, <laughs> I can't, I, I'm not going to give an incomplete. So let's just, what is, how, how much does TJ Warren matter? Let's talk about that. So yeah, we all we all agree, we all understand. Like this is we're just doing this because we have to, but it it it's gonna change most likely. Right. And look, we have it marked down this year. I've recorded our grades and marked down the dates. So if we do go back next year to see what we fucked up, like we'll know what happened thereafter. And so the criteria very quickly is it's what happened so far, which is very important for this division, the Atlantic yeah. division. And we're grading the organizations as a whole. And just finally, like a C is a passing grade. Like this is not, we're not ethering them by giving them C's and C minuses. So if you're going to be one of the commenters or listeners that want to see a, I had someone quibbling with me because I didn't give like Memphis an A plus plus plus. It was just, it was something ridiculous. Uh, that's not how this works. So that's the criteria. Uh, I will be putting up for people that are watching on YouTube and I'll do it right now, or at least I'll, I'll go to where we need to be for it. The transactions up on the screen for a little bit since there have been complaints about me talking too fast. Imagine that about me, Grant, talking too fast. <laughs> People don't know what they're talking about. So I'll put it up on the screen. We begin with the Boston Celtics, and you're getting a peek behind the curtain with all my typos or misspellings. Uh, they're notable moves. They traded Daniel Tice, who has two years and $17.8 million guaranteed left on his deal, plus a third-year team option. Uh, they traded him, Aaron Neesmith, Malik Fitz, Nick Stauskas and Jawan Morgan and a 2023 first rounder top 12 protected to the Pacers for Malcolm Brogdon, a move that was met with almost universal approval. They signed Danilo Gallinari with two year, $13.3 million deal. The full mini MLE. Uh, he has a player option on that second season. They signed Luke Cornette, the real unicorn to a two year, $4.6 million deal. $1 million guarantees on opening night, fully guarantees on July 10th. The second year is non-guaranteed. They signed Sam Hauser to a three-year, $5.7 million deal, team option on that final season. And they signed J.D. Davidson to a two-way contract. And they signed Fiondu Cabangeli to a two-way contract. No notable exits aside from the trades that we mentioned. And if you care, 
uh, Aaron, uh, Malik Fitz and Nick Staskis and Jawan Morgan were, were in fact waived by the Pacers. So Grant, what grade did you give the, the Celtics? This is an A for me. Um, I, I, as I try to think of, you know, what, what am I overlooking or what it's, it's just like not that complicated to me because the way I frame Boston's offseason is they added Brogdon and Gallinari. And really the only thing of consequence that re, you know, in terms of if we assume this is again, a finals contender, which I think that's safe to say, the only thing they gave up that really matters or was going to factor into that at all is, is Daniel Tice. Like, you know, that 23 first rounder, I don't feel like is super valuable. It's not going to be a high pick. Um, so getting two rotation guys, um, particularly getting another playmaking guard that will help keep the ball moving in Brogdon, getting some more shooting in Gallinari, you know, we could, I, I don't know how, how nuanced or how deep you want to go on this, but like, it's just two rotation guys that could definitely start for you in a pinch in the event of injuries. Um, and guys that I can envision being part of the rotation in a, in a final series. Uh, so having gotten those two guys and not really given up a ton downside risks are there. Uh, but you know, with Brogdon's health and Gallinari's defense, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty hard for me to really, uh, nitpick here. Um, because Boston was really good and improved without sacrificing anything that I view as, as significant. Yeah, I think. So what did you end up giving them? It's just a flat A. Yeah, I gave him a flat A as well. I don't know what there's not to like about their offseason unless you think that Aaron Neesmith was going to blossom into a star somehow. And I just, you know, even if you did think that, were they really going to pay everybody if you thought like Langford dating back to the Derek White trade was going to to pan out? And the 2023 first is just, even if they regressed from how they finished towards the end of last season, that's just not like a huge opportunity cost to give up. Uh, if Malcolm Brogdon stays healthy, that money is not unreasonable. But I get it from the very quickly the Pacers' perspective of let's just you know we have Halliburton, we have Duarte, we have Benedict Matherin. Let's get rid of Brogdon, get off that long term money, and pick up a first round pick in the process. That's a deal that makes sense for both sides. And I do think between Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari, I don't know if they dress address a lot of what sort of ailed them um, offensively in the NBA Finals. But like when Gallo's healthy, I know he's slower. But he can get to the foul line and yeah. create and hit some tough jumpers more so than Malcolm Brogdon can, and I think that could really matter for them. And just I like the fact that it, they were willing to use the mini MLE. This wasn't a team that shot, and they shouldn't have just because they made the freaking NBA Finals. Um, I I honestly don't know what you wouldn't like about this offseason unless you didn't think that they should have gone after Brogdon. Uh, I did wonder after the Kevin Durant trade demand came down, and you look at the Brogdon deal, was it almost an anticipation of oh? Would they dangle Jalen Brown plus Marcus Smart or Derek White and other stuff for Kevin Durant? And we've since heard uh, that they have done that. Jalen Brown and Derek White, and I think a fir- one first-round pick is what Shams reported. What do you make of all that? Not trying to factor in like, oh, how does their offseason grade change if they had Kevin Durant? But just in general, would that like, do you like that idea for their team, or do you think it's sort of too much of a consolidation for a team that was so close already? You know, like it, it depends on what day you catch me on uh, what my feelings are about, you know, should this team go for Durant and pay what it's going to cost? I do think maybe like I, I could see how the Brogdon move could have been sort of as part of an anticipatory plan that Durant's coming. But I wonder if just having that extra first round pick to move would have mattered more. Um, it just didn't just in getting him, let alone like, you know, leaving aside the fit and how things might work uh, once he's on the roster. I just think uh, some of these packages now, I get, we're recording this on Monday. 
uh, that you're seeing that that just isn't enough for Brooklyn. You're, you know, seeing things with like five first rounders and and they, you know, the 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 old line still is out there. They want an all star player, another really good player, a bunch of picks. Um, increasingly, I'm I'm taking the stance that like just to use Boston because that's the team we're talking about. I don't think I want to pay what it's going to cost to get Durant. And like, I don't think I want to pay anything close to it. Um, yeah, maybe he puts them over the top, but maybe he's 34 and maybe like, guess what? The, you know, the, he might not be happy there and that might not go great. I just, he's going to miss games. And, um, Boston's a special case because, you know, they had so much success last year and figure to improve just based on the youth of the roster and guys getting into, you know, real prime prime years. Um, but just more generally, I'm getting cooler and cooler on on wanting Durant for what it seems like it's going to cost on it, it just anywhere. I think I'm kind of with you and it changes unless like if the Nets lower their asking price or decide that, OK, we're going to rebuild. And so they're not trying to get an all star and picks. They're willing to accept that picks package for Boston specifically, though, like I don't like it in general. Like if the cost just becomes Jalen Brown and then another salary straight up, it just I don't know that Kevin Durant. Yes, he. I would say he elevates your window compared to Jalen Brown just because of what he does offensively, but for how long? And I know that title windows can be gone in a flash and Boston with the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum core specifically feels like it's had two or three different title windows already. Mm -hmm. um, unless Jalen Brown is indicated because we know he's not going to extend since that number is just not going to get him anywhere near his max off 120%. Unless he's communicated that he doesn't want to be there. Uh, I find it if I'm Boston hard to make this deal and I honestly like, especially if you're throwing other stuff on top of that, and it's not just other stuff right. because like the, the next salary you send out is going to be a good player. Like there's no just bad contract on this team right now. Yeah. I think Boston, you know, we both gave them an A for what they did. So uh, I think inherent in that is, I think we'd both like to see what this team looks like for a full year. Like, so that just, just from that perspective too, like, let's not, let's not just go superstar hunting and, and hope that it works. I think they're, they plan deliberately, made a lot of smart moves, uh, you know, big and small. And like, I just want to see this Boston roster, uh, this newly, you know, deeper Boston roster uh, get toward, you know, may, you know, at least conference finals and then maybe back to the finals and see what they can do. Very quickly though, if they made the trade, let's say it's Derek White, Jalen Brown and one first round pick, would that higher or lower your offseason grade or leave it lateral? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if it would change it, honestly, which is weird. Um, but like for that package, I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to really think about it some more. I don't think it would change it significantly. It, it might go down, honestly, because I, if I say it's going up, I just argue. I'm arguing against myself. Just having said, I kind of like this Boston roster and I want to see what it does. Yeah, I think I would leave it the same just because you are probably a better team for next season and maybe the one after, but the combustibility factor feels where it, 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 it's yeah. Kevin Durant. Right. It's just, man, that's just Jalen Brown is so good, so young, and you it does feel like you're inherently shortening your window. So I think let's you just continue using a mixed uh, house analogies. I think your ceiling's higher. Uh, but your window is narrower <laughs> so, and your floor is lower. So we're really messing with this house. Uh, but yeah, I think straight A's for Boston. That was an easy one. We move on to the next team uh, who is not as easy. And theirs is a grade that is going to change. Um, I would imagine one way or the other, but the Nets, 
acquired Royce O'Neal from the Jazz. They sent him into the, uh, they acquired, excuse me, Royce O'Neal into the Harden traded player exception. They gave up a 23 first round pick. It's going to be the worst of Houston, Philly, or Brooklyn's next season. They declined Kessler Edwards' team option, then signed him to a two year, $3.6 million deal with a team option on that final season. They signed Nick Claxton to a two year, $17.3 million deal. Uh, with $2.8 million of unlikely incentives baked in. They signed TJ Warren to a one-year vet minimum deal. Patty Mills opted out and re-signed on a two-year $13.3 million deal. There's $1.2 million of unlikely incentives baked in there. They signed Edmund Sumner to a two-year $4.2 million deal. That fully guarantees on January 10th, and it's non-guaranteed in year two. And they signed Yolandis Williams to a two-way contract. Notable exits for this team include Andre Drummond signing with the Bulls, Drag uh, Goran Dragic also signing with the Bulls, and David Duke Jr., and in parentheticals, what the fuck, remains unsigned, along with LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. It has to be noted that the Nets also, Kyrie Irving picked up his player option. They didn't agree to an extension, so that is here. And they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but those two are forever linked to trade rumors, and there's all this stuff going around about Sean Marks and Steve Nash. I have no idea, or had no idea, how to grade this team um, to this point. And do you also, I'm curious even before you give us your grade, did you even cake in the reality of, okay, even if we're just basing it on the move so far, organizationally, the Nets are on fucking fire. <laughs> that That is the hardest. I mean, there's a million hard parts about grading this team. And, and when I did this in July, this was pre-ultimatum from Kevin Durant, obviously. The, like, the idea that he was going to be moved and Kyrie too was out there, uh, but there wasn't the it's Nash and Marks or me, um, which like you said, now the organization is very much on fire. Um, so I was trying to grade just on what the Nets had done. And that was easier because really shit hadn't, hadn't hit the fan completely yet. Um, and I, I had a B minus then. Um, I think I have to downgrade now. I'm just going to go a flat C. And so I'll start just with the basics, leave Durant and Irving out of it and all that stuff. Uh, I think their moves in general were okay. Um, There's like real hits like Warren on the minimum. We've, you know, talked about where was everybody else on TJ Warren, you know, several other, other uh, for other teams. Um, I think Claxton is, is fine at that number. I think Mills, I'm kind of biased. I've always liked Patty Mills. I'm, I'm fine with him at that number. Um, the O'Neill trade didn't make sense to me, but then again, like if you think you might have, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant back. And if you think Ben Simmons might be healthy, and if you think you're going to have a coach and a lead executive when the season starts, then Royce O'Neal makes more sense than having a first round pick. Um, so even that is difficult to sort of parse because we don't really know what this team's like. This team could tank. Like there's a scenario where it trades everything. It tanks and has like a quick flip rebuild next year. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it, there's also a chance they try to make the finals if somehow they get, you know, enough talent back and then Royce O'Neal matters. So I'm just going to go see, uh, cause I don't know what to do with the Durant and Irving stuff and the general palace intrigue. I would say though, um, I don't know if we, I think we maybe diverge on this point a little bit. I'll be curious what you think. I think I like, I'm good with the way that Josai and management have handled this. I I'm, I'm good with like asking for the world for Durant. I'm good with, not just trading Irving for nothing. I'm good with them exercising what little leverage they have over these star players. Um, what I'm not good with is what happened years ago when the Nets decided that it was a good idea to commit to Irving. Like that's a, you should have seen this coming situation, but at the same time, like, 
I mean, are you going to say no if you go back and do it again, if it gets you Kevin Durant? I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's just, it's a mess. Uh, I'll be glad when it's over because I feel like this is a saga that has gone on for a long time and I still don't have a handle on it. And that like makes me uncomfortable. I don't, so. Yeah, like I said, this one was tough. I gave them a D plus though. I like the Nick Claxton contract. Um, I like bringing back Kessler Edwards. I think that was obviously a no, a no brainer for them. Um, but what we need to, what, the Royce O'Neal deal, I'm kind of neutral on. Uh, I guess the Nets don't have enough good defenders on this team. I mean, Ben Simmons is there to where his role, I do think, changes a great deal. And are we now too far gone on Royce O'Neal because he like had to be all everything to the Jazz and just couldn't do it anymore? Like, I just, you know, so I'm not sure what to make of that. The other thing is just like, I agree with you that I think the Nets are smart to not acquiesce to everything these stars are doing. But you already did. Right. And then to pivot now seems like self or actually it seems futile. And I don't know what I also have not liked the way that the leaks have come out where it's very clearly in certain things like the Nets trying to frame it as like there. It's like them against the, the stars at this point. And no, you gave Kyrie and KD this agency from day one and to yeah. pivot out of it without a concrete plan or being prepared to suffer the consequences. My grade will change if they get a lot for these guys or specifically Kevin Durant. Um, via trade but right now the fact that they haven't traded them um i understand kevin Durant has four years left on his contract you don't trade him or kyrie irving just just because at the same time like to go into training camp with this looming over your head is also a disaster and now you just like you failed to draw a line time and again and then like now we're trying to redraw it at the weird times and it's like where does it end and if you were going to make this decision shouldn't it have been when kyrie was actually away from the team like this is when it, you really should have went the nuclear route. And then you could have maybe, maybe you trade KD and Kyrie and rebuild around James Harden at that point. Like, I'm just uh, like, you could have maybe traded Kevin Durant for Ben Simmons kept James. I don't know how any of that works, but it feels like they've just misstepped at so many turns or at least failed to be consistent with their mentality. And I do not feel bad that their culture imploded because they decided superstars were their culture. Uh, I also don't like the Patty Mills deal for them. There was clearly some quid pro quo there that he was going to opt out and get more money. He did not close the year well. Uh, I love the TJ Warren contract. That's a fantastic flyer. So there are things to like or be neutral about, but like that's a this was a bad offseason for them uh, as of right now so far because I think that my grade, again, will go up after we look at the return for Kevin Durant and or Kyrie Irving. And not having that concrete direction is a fucking problem. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think th 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 if they get anything close to what the asking price seems to be uh, from, from Brooklyn's end, then like this grade could go up a lot because suddenly you, you're rid of a guy that wants no part of being there, which is, it's not totally analogous to the go bear situation, but it's like, this is a lost cause. We're trying to get something because otherwise we have a guy that's probably just going to hold out. Um, and if you get this like super, this star, a young star, another like quality starter and four firsts or whatever it ends up being like, that's, I mean, we're talking like into the B range easy, maybe, maybe even the A range just because you're started over once Irving's gone, he's gone and you're like a normal-ish team again. Yeah. And look, the other thing that I'm not happy about is just like, why, how, like, how have you not figured out a way to bring, and I know this is stupid, David Duke Jr. back, like someone who really showed a lot in summer league and he's just floating out there remaining unsigned. I know the Kevin Durant stuff has to hold up a ton, but like you can't even hit like on that basic of a move, which is, Oh, keep someone who like is a really nice flyer 
at this point. Like, I just, I don't understand it. They should announce a huge press conference and it'll just be that they've retained David Duke Jr. <laughs> just for me. Cause we did a podcast where I identified him as like one of the uh, best remaining free agents. So clearly I'm just unattached there, but that's just not so much is unfinished here. And I think this late into the summer, I get what they're trying to do, which is why there's the D plus just the fact that this is all imploded and the Nets either couldn't foresee this or didn't decide to take a hard line stance sooner and let it get to this point. Uh, and again, I agree with what they're doing now. The fact that Kevin Durant requests a trade, you don't just trade him wherever you, he wants to go for nothing. I understand it doesn't work like that, but this is there are no winners in this situation. They're just zero. Yeah. Uh, so I went D plus. You had them in a flat C, or did you give them a C minus? I'm going C. Just, I mean, who knows, right? It's a, this, this is a placeholder, let's be honest. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, which means we move on to the New York Knicks. Uh, very much not so much a placeholder. Uh, this is going to take a while. So Grant, you go grab a cup of coffee. We'll see you in an hour. Uh, the Knicks traded Usman Jang, number 11, to OKC for Denver's 2023 first. That's lotto protected through 2025, then turns into two seconds. Uh, they also acquired Detroit's 2023 first, top 18 protected for the next two years, then top 13 protected, top 11 protected, top nine protected in 2027. Then it turns into a second round pick. And they also got Washington's 2023 first. That's lotto protected for two years, top 10 protected in 2025, and top eight protected in 2026 before turning into two seconds. They then acquired Jalen Duran at number 13 from the Charlotte Hornets for that Denver first round pick and three 2023 second rounders. It's the Knicks' own, Utah's 2023 second, and then the least favorable of OKC, Dallas, Washington, and Miami's, I believe, 2023 second. They then traded Jalen Duran, number 13, and Kemba Walker to Detroit for Milwaukee's 2025 first round pick. That is top four protected. They also traded Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, who are both basically on expiring contracts since they're the third year on their deals or next year on their deals is non-guaranteed or has team options. So they traded those two, $6 million in cash, uh, a 2023 second-round pick, which was Detroit's own, and a 2026 second-round pick from, um, from Detroit or Minnesota. That's got to be wrong. So a 2026 first-round pick to the Pistons for uh, basically nothing. It's a fake second-rounder in the draft rights to Nikola Radicevic. Um, they signed Jalen Brunson to a four-year, $104 million deal that will start at, and I think this is important, $27.7 million, and then it declines for the next two years. The final year is a player option. That would be his age 29 season, and it projects to be worth 17% of the entire salary cap. By the way, he also has a 10% trade bonus. They signed Isaiah Hartenstein to a two-year, $17 million deal, 5% trade bonus, $2.1 million in unlikely incentives. Now, I want to frame this in totality because that's a ton. In the end, the Knicks used the number 11 pick, six second rounders, one of which is, so let's say five second rounders, one of which is top 55 protected, and $6 million in cash to offload three expiring deals, scoop up three conditional first rounders, and then sign Jalen Brunson and Isaiah Hartenstein. So that is just the order of operations for them. They signed Mitchell Robinson to a four-year $60 million deal, starts at $17 million and declines all the way to $13 million in year four, his age 27 season. He will be the 12th highest paid center in the league next year. They signed Jericho Sims to a three-year $5.7 million deal, partially guaranteed in years one and two, non-guaranteed in year three. They signed Ferran Hunt to a two-way contract, and they signed Trevor Keels to a two-way contract. Their notable exits include Taj Gibson, who they waived. He signed with the Wizards, and Ryan Archie Diacono remains unsigned. Whew, I need a minute to catch my breath there. Grant, what grade did you give the Knicks? 
so this just full disclosure, this was a C plus uh, back in July, but having kind of lived with it for a little longer and kind of needing what you did here, uh, framing, framing this whole series of transactions in totality, my, my official grade now is down to a C minus, um, which like, you know, not a major difference, but so just a lot happened. Some of it was good. <laughs> uh, some of it was bad, but most of it, and I'm afraid I'm going to steal your point on this because I, I think this is roughly where you're at. Um, this does not uh, scream. We have a, we have a, co a coherent plan uh, long, you know, we don't know what the next five-year plan is. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so like just to take the big ones, I think Brunson at that number is fine. I think uh, you've definitely said, and I agree that the conditions, at least with respect to offensive spacing in Dallas, were way better than they're going to be with the Knicks. And so he may struggle a little bit. Um, I, I think he's a guy that really needs the room um, because of his lack of size to kind of get into his bag, especially if he gets into kind of the mid post area where he has, you know, such an incredible like array of fakes and stuff. If, if, if everything is just compressed in there, I think maybe he runs into some trouble. We love Hartenstein. That's a fine number. I think he's a, quietly one of the best backup bigs in the league. There is an argument to be made that he's better than Mitchell Robinson. So that makes the Mitchell Robinson signing real bad. Um, the 12th highest paid center. He is not the 12th best center in the league. It's not close. And that's not even considering his durability concerns. Um, so I think I'm just all told this is just slightly below average. Um, and most of it, like most of it is because I still don't really have a sense of like what the, what the goal is in all this. I get it. You, you they like Brunson. It, they really wanted him. They got him and they didn't really overpay that much, especially, I mean, maybe not at all especially with the declining structure. Um, so I just, uh, I just don't fully get what the Knicks are doing. Um, but like, I think I said this back in July when I did grades, like anyone that's, you know, thinking of this is an F or this is crazy. I don't know. This is a straw man argument, but like, you got to remember how bad some of the Knicks, like how totally aimless some of the Knicks off seasons have been in the past. This is, this is a series of like dubious moves in some cases but some are like objectively, I think pretty good. It's just like, what is it's, you know, to what end basically is my un unanswered question. So, so it's a C minus for me. I went with a C minus as well. This is terrible podcasting because yeah. we just don't differ at all. And I echo everything you said. Um, I did flirt with going lower just because I do think this shows a, a lack of a coherent vision, as you said. And it's just like, it's not the Jalen Brunson deal. It's because the Knicks were the one to offer it. And what does, if you think Jalen Brunson is your best player right now, uh, what does that make you? And so looming over all this, of course, is the Donovan Mitchell trade talks. That doesn't change too much for me unless Danny Ainge loses the trade. Uh, I don't think it will necessarily be a bad trade for the Knicks, but the way I framed it is thusly. And yes, I just said thusly. Um, doth thou protest about me saying thusly? <laughs> uh, if you acquire Donovan Mitchell, you still need to acquire Donovan Mitchell's equal or superior because Jalen Brunson cannot be the second best player on your team when Donovan Mitchell's the first. You know who he can be the second best player on your team for? The fucking Mavericks when Luka Doncic is the best player on your team. It's not the contract. The contract is fine. I will say, why did he need a player option and why is there a trade bonus in there? It's declining. So maybe that's the concession you make. And that's smart. It's the same thing with Mitchell Robinson's deal, which is why I noted it. Mitchell Robinson in year four of that deal at $13 million 
Maybe that ends up being a bargain. That's also a deal they shouldn't have signed because who was giving Mitchell Robinson $60 million? That feels like an issue of, oh, the Knicks were doing him a favor because they didn't decline his team option last year uh, to make him a restricted free agent. They didn't sign him to an extension during the season because they wanted to prioritize their flexibility. That's not, no, you don't do that. Like, yeah, I'm going to ding you for that. I didn't like that. Love the Hartenstein signing. Best, one of the best signings uh, of the offseason. I'm curious to see like how much the Knicks actually use him there, though. But it's just like, yeah, this is unfinished, to be honest, because of the Donovan Mitchell stuff. But what does it even say? Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson make you what? Like, this team is, right now, if we're going through the East, I don't think the Knicks are a top six team. Like, there's Philly, there's Boston, there's Milwaukee, there's Miami. I'm forgetting, there's Toronto I would definitely have ahead of them. Would you have Atlanta ahead of them? Like, that's a team you yeah. I probably would at this point. So there's six right there, and I feel like I'm forgetting a really obvious I think Cleveland's better. Cleveland certainly in the mix. Like, is they're probably in the same territory right now, if we're being honest, as Washington and Charlotte. Like, sort of the well, what the fuck is happening here, teams. Yeah. And I don't think any. There is no single move they made that was detrimental this offseason. Let me make that clear. There was none. Uh, I just the 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 extent they went to like enter mediocrity or sub mediocrity or stay in sub mediocrity is just troubling. And what I really don't like here is even if the team is left alone, they're still like this ambiguity surrounding, well, what do you think RJ Barrett is? Because now you've uh, acquired someone else who needs to have, not only he doesn't need, Jalen Brunson can hit a set three pointer. I want to make that clear, but he's at his best with the ball in his hands, working inside the arc at this point. So is RJ Barrett at this point. So is Julius Randall. There's a chance you're actually going to add Donovan Mitchell to that mix without subtracting either of those players. Did you give Jalen Brunson enough space to work with inside the arc? Hell no. No, you don't have that right now. So I'm not preemptively degrading them for the Mitchell trade. That might actually help their roster because it's going to be a huge talent boost. But what are you angling for here? And I think their, their saving grace can be this, is if the Donovan Mitchell trade includes fewer of their own picks or fewer picks in general than we thought, and they're able to go out and acquire another star. And that's, I'm not... I'm not accounting for that not happening and saying this is why they're at a C minus. I there's just a complete and total absence of inspiration here. And again, Jalen Brunson is really good. This is not the player that the Knicks should have hitched their wagon to. And also, like, I think you can argue going after Jalen Brunson, even though the offensive fit would maybe be divine, I would say probably a little bit less than divine, but if you were going to go get Donovan Mitchell and you knew this was coming, we knew Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks was like a thing that's been out there for years. Why sign Jalen? Brunson? Like you could argue the Jalen Brunson signing is more pointless now that the Knicks are in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think so charitably this, you know, just getting Donovan Mitchell adds up to the talent and like the grade goes up for that reason. But charitably, like, if this all is, you know, if this was all maneuvering to get a couple extra assets or so something to get Mitchell and the fit works, then like, yeah, I guess then we have, it's, it's harder for us to criticize like a lack of a coherent plan. If like Mitchell was part of it all along, at least like that's part of, you know, something that had been in the works for a while. I do think though, I kind of hate the, the Mitchell Brunson fit. I think it's too small. I think, uh, like you, you, you minimize, as you alluded to, the on-ball game of like the three other most important players on the roster. So the so like, if, so it's just to take the other side of the whole like, is there a coherent plan argument? If Mitchell's your guy, then 
I don't know how much sense the rest of the roster makes like at all. Uh, so I, 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 a lot of the pieces would go, you know, th that we're referring to Barrett potentially being one of them back to Utah in a Mitchell deal, but we don't know, we don't know what that's going to look like. So, um, I am, can I just say I'm looking forward to the next team? Cause it's a lot simpler. Cause we've done a bunch in a row <laughs> lately that are really hard to kind of unpack. Uh, yeah, I just don't, could you see very quickly on this? Do you see a scenario in which the next grade could go is the next grade after the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes is over for you? more likely to go up or down? I think probably up. Um, up but there's, yeah, but there's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know how high, but there's, there's, it really depends. I don't know what they're going to give up. I don't know. I, it's almost like it's such a cop-out, but like I'd like to see how the fit works on the floor before I make an off -seat. That's not really a luxury we have in this situation, but I think it could go up. Just just the talent, like because you know, Mitchell, like you said, is not an A number one guy on a title threat, but and, and now you pair him with below that. Now you pair you would pair him with Brunson, where the two your two lead guards, their best attributes, like their their I would say their top two offensive attributes, it's not passing. Like you're not gonna pass in the top two things that either of those two guys do. They're not I don't think either of them are bad playmakers. I want to make right. that clear. Right. But like neither of them are floor. Like is if you get Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brunson. Is Derek Rose still the best passer on your team? I'm I'm serious question. Am I is that that's a I mean that's a problem that we have that we have to we have to try to decide that. I don't know. I mean like it, it's not it's not if they keep quickly it's not quickly. It's definitely not Julius Randle. There's like there's like a, a Russell Westbrookness to the way that Julius Randle passes. It's like a last resort rather than the play. Right. Yeah. Well, what you're gonna get is a lot of some Knicks fans saying like, "Look how many assists he averaged." Like, no, no, no. That's not even what I mean. Like, no, I, I know, I know, yeah. what, I know what you mean. I'm afraid that some other people might not. Uh, um, so C minus is across the board there. I think it's more likely to go up too. So there's like, I just there's you'll we'll be able to understand more of the Knicks vision whether they're actually committed to not being great or actually have a path to being great after the Mitchell trade. And that's just the fact. So if you want to go incomplete, I think a C minus is fair. If you wanted to bump it up to a C, I, I wouldn't argue, but you're right. The Sixers are a lot easier. Let me throw their transaction list up on the screen. Uh, the Sixers traded number 23, which was David Roddy and Danny green to the Grizzlies for DeAnthony Melton, who has two years and $16.3 million left on his deal. They signed Daniel house to a two year, $8.4 million deal. Uh, the player, there's a player option on year two. It was for the full biannual exception. They signed PJ Tucker to a three year, $33 million deal. That was the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception. And he has a 2024, 2025 player option at the age of 39. Uh, they are also hard capped because they use the, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception. James Hard opted out and signed a two year, $68.6 million deal a 2023-2024 player option. The NBA is investigating the Sixers for tampering slash cap circumvention because of it. I should also note the Knicks, that's, did you, the Knicks being investigating, uh, they're, the NBA is investigating them for tampering with Jalen Brunson as well. And just like, the audacity to, to hire his dad as an assistant, even though his dad has a track record of being an assistant, when that whole thing is happening in the backdrop is just, I almost applaud it because it's just, it's so fucking brazen. Um, but so that should have been noted as part of that. Jalen Brunson is not the player I want to tamper for is basically what I mean there. Uh, the Sixers signed uh, Trevillian Queen to a two-year $3.6 million deal. That will guarantee in full on January 10th. The second year is non-guaranteed. They picked up the $2 million option on Shake Milton, and they signed Michael Foster Jr. to an Exhibit 10 deal. Notable exits, and I know Sixers fans will be mad or sad. DeAndre Jordan signed with the Nuggets. I 
RIP to DJ's reign in Philly. And then Paul Millsap remains unsigned. Talk about a quick fall for Paul Millsap. I was like, right up until he his last season in Denver, I was just like, this guy's going to play forever. What grade did you give Philly? Uh, it's an it's another flat A for me. So that's two in this division. Um, I think just to take the other side first, like maybe you're concerned that that you know the depth behind Embiid at center is a little wanting. I mean, just go find we. How many different teams have we already said like just go find go get Hassan Whiteside. You just go get somebody that because like the reality is if Embiid misses significant time, this team's not doing anything anyway. So just get a guy that you can play seven, eight, ten minutes in big games, and I think you're fine. Um, yeah, like just getting Tucker. How hilarious, by the way, is having a player option at 39, which is what he's going to have. Like, pretty pretty likely he's picking that up. Um, I think Tucker is a huge addition. Um, I ding the Heat for losing him. I don't know how realistic it was for him to end up anywhere but Philly. It seems like that was kind of not not done, but close to it. Um, and then House and Melton, I think, are both guys I could envision closing games. Uh, so, like, you've added three starter slash rotation level players. Uh, you, and also with the tampering thing for Harden's, uh, new deal, I feel like, yeah, anytime you're getting investigated in this particular case, like it's a sign you did something like really well, like a little too well. So, uh, I'm, I, you know, like, yeah, it's almost like a badge of honor, not quite in it <laughs> than the Knicks and Brunson. Um, yeah, it's an A, like there's the Sixers are way better. Um, there are still risks like Harden might actually be washed and, and, and B could get hurt, but like, that's not an off season thing. Um, so, so they just got a ton better and, and added a bunch of defense, added some shooting. Like I, you know, I, I have, I have no, no nits to pick here. Yeah. I think. Like the PJ Tucker deal is just like another team would have given him that. Right. And so if you're just confident that you're going to work within the constraints of the hard cap, which I think you can be confident with because you didn't have all this draft equity to trade anyway. And any deal because you have to buy is Harris if you were to make something. Uh, it's like, I don't want to say it's easy to work within the hard cap, but if there was a team that just wanted anything attached to Tobias Harris to get value, like you can work it so that you're staying within the hard cap. I love their offseason, maybe a little too 2018 Rocketsy for me just like let's run it back with them but you got james harden to i've i don't think that this needs to be a precedent if we're going to start asking oh is lebron gonna well is anthony davis going to take less in his next deal or lebron after his extension kicks in going to take less in his next contract to help the lakers get a third star that should never be the expectation here but they got james harden to take less and honestly if they circumvented the salary cap in the process i don't really fucking care you know what I'm, like what is the you know, if if he wasn't going to take a pay cut, they would have signed him anyway. And yeah. if it's like a handshake deal uh, under the table that, oh, we're just going to pay you next year. Well, hey, guess what just happened with the Clippers visa right. with Reggie Jackson and Nicholas Patum? This is I know it's a different caliber of player, but if it's happening at a lower scale, it's and I'm not saying this is akin to the Nuggets. They had DeAndre Jordan like in the bag in mid-June, which is just like imagine tampering for DeAndre Jordan. I get there are levels and dimensions to how tampering works. I just, I can't bring myself to care until you actually like make an example out of a team. And I also don't think it's fair though, to make an example out of a team uh, unless it's done not uniformly, but in conjunction with hitting a bunch of teams at once, because look at what happened with the bulls and Lonzo ball or the, like, you can't like pretend that that actually cares. And you scuttled the Bogdanovich deal for the bucks. That's like the biggest, I guess, uh, penalty a team has suffered, not what they actually like were fined of that or what it cost them a second round pick, if anything, but like the deal was revoked. And so, unless you're going to come in and revoke these contracts all of a sudden, I just don't care. And yes, 
to the Sixers, actually. They just make so much more sense on the court right now. And they're, they're also kind of set up to where Doc Rivers can't fuck up the backup center rotation now, which I think is important because you're, you're either going to play P.J. Tucker as a small ball five in those minutes, or we're going to actually get to see like a lot of Paul Reed. Right. So I think that that's you know important. I love the DeAnthony Melton pickup. Um, that's someone who he didn't look great in the playoffs with minute uh, with Memphis, excuse me. But like he's hit the three well over the past two seasons, and he will defend his butt off. And what you've essentially done is said, "Hey, we're going to surround Joel Embiid and James Harden with guys who can defend and capably hit threes. There's no like lights out prime Kyle Korver on this team. No rookie. There's not even a rookie year Landry Shamit on this team or whatever year he ends up in Philly. He's been around the block so many times. I can't even remember, but you have enough shooting. And I also think it's not unreasonable to expect James Harden to be better. This is like, he's, he's finally not in Houston or Brooklyn. Uh, he's not dealing with any sort of injuries over the off season. He took a pay cut, which seems to resonate with me that I don't think he should have, but that he gets it. And like, he kind of understands like, this is my last shot at, of like, people have already turned on him and think that he's a poser or can't perform in the playoffs. I think he understands that now, which is only good for the Sixers, whether he should have actually taken a pay cut. That's for the players unions to talk about amongst themselves. But I'm like, he might be a sneaky, great MVP bet this year. Mm -hmm. Just the odds that he's laying. And you could probably like cash out early on because he's playing so well. I think this team is... Uh, I don't know if they're tier one contenders now, but I think they're now in tier two. And to do that when you didn't really have much to work with in the like, uh, like heading into the off season, I think that's a that's a big deal. So I don't know if I said my grade, but I want a flat A for the. I'll go A minus because it's like, did PJ Tucker need the player option at age thirty? But again, it's like no, I'm going A. Another team would have given him that deal. So point to me the move that doesn't make sense here. Yeah. I, I like. I relatively speaking, I'm I'm pretty low on Harden, but I agree with what you said that like. At the very least, we can we can agree that he's better positioned to succeed with this roster than he's been really at any time since things were really going well in Houston. Because it's just like you you said it it's it's really good defensive players around him who like ideally don't get the ball unless they're shooting open threes. And then instead of Clint Capella, you have Joel Embiid. So like <laughs> yeah, we're just comparing to like yeah, this is Rockets East now, and some of the guys are a little older than you might like. I mean, Rockets, Rockets West, Rockets, actual Rockets work pretty well for until they started messing with things. So uh, this arguably is like a version of that team that just happens to have an MVP candidate center, which was never the case, uh, you know, for the actual Rockets over the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. So, I mean, I think that the number for Harden still actually, having said that, like that might just be like, was he going to get more than not? Certainly not this off season. Cause there just wasn't any money, but like, what is his actual market value based on how things have looked the last couple of years? That's another like big unknown. My just thing because is, you don't know how much the give a shit factor really mattered right. for him. I guess my whole thing is just like, if there were teams that wanted to c compete or could talk themselves into that, they could compete and had cap space and James Harden was willing to sign anywhere. He would have gotten the max, but like, we're at the point where players are making so much money. Do I expect them to start taking $15 million pay cuts in a single season? No, but like at some point, like the richer you are, like every dollar matters less. You might still be obsessed with it and how much money he makes off the court is one of those guys not advocating for it. I just, I can't bring myself to care except to from the side of the Sixers where it's, well, James Harden at 
you know, an average annual value technically over the next two years of $34 million makes so much sense. Yeah. Because that's not even, you know, he'll be making about the equivalent of like a 25% max next year if he picked up his player option or is about the equivalent of a 25% max this year, like close to it. That's like all of a sudden good value. Are you going to like, do you think James Harden is, you're low on Harden. So I get like in a vacuum and it's the way it works. Sort of these players being able to make more as they get older is it's counterintuitive, but I guess it's also ageist to say that they shouldn't, but they're not, you know, making the most money when you're in your, for PJ Tucker is going to have the highest paid salary of his career at age 39 in this industry. That doesn't make any sense technically, but just like relative to what you think James Harden is now, like 34 million, whatever that number is, like that's pretty great value for the Sixers. And it's the length of the deal or the lack of length of the deal. That's the diff. That's the big deciding factor for me. Cause like just to, to get back to, you know, are we concerned about this being a precedent where guys take, you know, the Nicholas Batum and, and now the Harden situation, like it won't be a precedent if, if this is a handshake thing and Harden opts out and then they give him the full max and like, he's God awful for the length of that deal. Nobody's getting like, there will not be a line of teams like trying to get, you know, just past the prime superstars and doing these wink, wink things like that. So there's, there's a real chance that this sets the precedent for like, we're never going to do this handshake bullshit again with another star that has like some dubious conditioning and, you know, career trajectory uh, issues. So yeah, to, 25% of the cap, roughly, like you said, that's okay. And just knowing that, like, at worst, you can get out of this after next year if just, like, he just doesn't have it anymore. Um, I, I Well, actually, worse would be if they fully maxed him out for, <laughs> for uh, you know, that it, I don't, I'm not. Does it trigger another tampering investigation or salary cap circumvention investigation if they're, everything's absolved now, but then he does opt out and sign for the max after having a crappy year? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, what did you end up giving them again? This flat A, just uh, an A. This is terrible podcasting. I'm about to deviate from your next grade on the Raptors just to make sure that we have some sort of disagreement. Let me throw them up on the screen here. Uh, the Toronto Raptors' notable moves include signing Thaddeus Young to a two-year $16 million deal. Only $1 million is guaranteed in year two. They signed Otto Porter Jr. to a two-year $12.3 million deal. It's a 2023-2024 player option on that. They use less than the big MLE to get him, which is wild, and it helps them avoid the hard cap, which is significant to this note, which is they drafted Christian Coloco at number 33. Per Raptors fans in the YouTube comment, they think he's like going to be the second greatest NBA player of all time. He does remain unsigned, though, in part because they're trying to remain flexible under the hard cap since they would probably need to use the uh, mid-level except part of the what's remaining of their mid-level exception to sign him. And if you go above the mini MLE, you're going to be hard capped and they are looming in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. That is my point. Uh, they signed Chris Boucher to a three-year $35.3 million deal. My guy getting paid. It's fully guaranteed. Signed DJ Wilson to a two-year $4.6 million deal. Uh, that fully guarantees on opening night and year two is non-guaranteed. They signed Justin Champagny to a two-year $3.6 million deal. Also guaranteed as an opening night and year two is non-guaranteed. Shvi Mikhailuk picked up his player option. They signed Juan Hernan Gomez to a one-year veterans minimum deal. They signed Ron Harper Jr. and Jeff Doughton to a two to two-way contracts. And they signed Gabe Brown to an exhibit 10 deal. They waived Armani Brooks as part of their notable exits. And both Isak Banga and this one is inexcusable. Utah Wantanabe remain unsigned. Grant, one, the Raptors were like, I know they weren't mega transactions, but going through it when I was doing it, they were busier than I was ex expected. Uh, but what grade did you give the Raptors ultimately? I give them a B. Um, I just, everything, all these signings are fine. I just don't know how consequential any of them are. Um, like, but the, you know, getting Porter, I think Porter was 
I suspect that he was going to be one of the most sought after free agents in the league and to get him for less than the full MLE is like, you know, pretty impressive. Um, it, but obviously there were some like off court, you know, he's, I think it's his girlfriend or his fiance is from Toronto. So that, that was, seems to have been a factor because so I, I can't believe Go ahead. the market of Toronto has pull is what you're saying. Well, it seems that it probably should, right. It should <laughs> yeah. have pull. That's a cool place to be. Um, but like, I've just because we have to. I gotta believe that there was there was a full MLE offer out there for him. I there should have been. If there yeah, wasn't. there there should have been if there wasn't. So that's I, I got no problem with that. Boucher feels like a little rich, but like that's that's a totally manageable number. Um, I'm I'm fine with that. I think if I had to, I guess, and I have to, I do have to like ding them a little bit because I gave them a B instead of something better. Is like, are we sure that the the playmaking and point guard situation is was sufficiently addressed? Because I, I think guess it's sure that it wasn't. Is that like, <laughs> well, yeah, like, cause I guess, you know, you say, well, Scotty Barnes is going to up the playmaking and we can get some more of that for even like Thad young has had phenomenal playmaking seasons from a front court position. So you might just kind of piece it together there, but it feels still like Van Vliet is just kind of overtaxed and is, there's not like a good replacement for what he does on the roster. I, you know, leave it to Toronto to kind of try to figure out innovative ways to, to, sort of make up for shortcomings, you know, that they have in the roster makeup. But I would have liked to have seen uh, maybe just, just go get me like a backup point guard that I'm sure I can trust. Cause otherwise like, I'm not sure where you, cause Van Vliet plays a ton of minutes and he's played a ton of minutes forever. And I, I just don't know that they're fully stocked behind him to, to kind of weather an injury or trying to like take it easier on him for once. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I gave him a B plus cause I don't know what to dislike about their off season ultimately and the auto porter you know to me is if it's not a steal like it's it's going to be fine and does he is he a caps lock shooter no but he'll space the floor gives you different options on defense you know how i feel about chris boucher uh so i thought that was a good deal for them and thaddeus young and the fact that it's like so low risk beyond next season they still need more floor spacing and they need more like self-creation and preferably they need to get both of those qualities in the same player just the way their roster is built um, but they've made themselves better still. They didn't address their biggest weakness, but they're better. They're deeper and their bench was a problem last year. I think creation off the bench will still be an issue. What I really, I'm not sure is being talked about enough is they've, I know that they're mentioned in the, the Kevin Durant stuff as well too, but they're also like, they have all these mid end contracts now to trade, which they just didn't before. So when we get to December, January, um, it's not, oh, if we want to make a move, we have to trade Gary Trent Jr. or OG Ananobi. No, you do have Chris Boucher's $12.7 million salary. You have Thaddeus Young making 8.2. You have Otto Porter Jr. Uh, there. So like, I don't, I wouldn't move Otto Porter Jr. I would, I will never move Chris Boucher. I would make it, I would give him a no trade clause if he was eligible. <laughs> um, but like, I think you've increased your optionality to improve the team because you don't, it doesn't have to be a mega blockbuster anymore mid season. So like, they're almost, it was funny because they were like uniquely built to, oh, you would get Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell in a trade, or you really don't make any trade of consequence because you don't have like the middle ground. I think they set themselves up for that while getting a little better. I'm with you. I would have liked to have seen them skew more towards caps lock, italics, bold shooter uh, or creator, and they did not. Um, but they are, to me, a better, deeper team than they ended the season as. And if we got a fully healthy Raptors team last year, or even an 80%, healthy Raptors team last year, I think they would have been even more dangerous than they actually ended up being by the end of the season. Yeah. So just last thing on Toronto for me, uh, I, I guess like big picture, I kind of, 
I respect that they sort of ran it back more or less with the experimental like position list. We got a bunch of forwards thing because um, there were injuries last year and like there were real problems rebounding and the playmaking stuff you mentioned. Um, but I think I just think uh, you can bank on Barnes getting better. You can bank on a getting better. Um, and I just like that they didn't they didn't panic and like just go like we need a shooter. We need a point guard, you know, and go conventional. I think like one more year at least of seeing if this specific very specific roster setup can work i think it's i think it's worth it uh so so i like that they as much as i criticize you know van fleet's kind of out there on his own i like that that toronto kind of stuck to its guns and and is going to at least give another year of this kind of roster building yeah that's that's actually a really good point too i I did want to see really quickly where do you fall on since they are involved in the kevin durant sweepstakes are you team i would trade scotty barnes for him would you trade Pascal Siakam for him? Um, if they're not willing to include either one of those guys, do you even see a pathway to them getting a deal done? It would be Trent, OG Ananobi, and their draft, essentially. Probably not. I, I think uh, I don't think I would trade Barnes for Durant just because of the the cost, the like their completely divergent developmental trajectories, um, and and maybe Siakam. But I don't it, just based on what Brooklyn's asking for. Like I feel like if Barnes isn't in the deal that's it, we're not really talking anymore. Right. Cause I, I don't feel like Toronto has the same level of willingness to just give up all its draft picks. Uh, just that that's, that's like not something that historically I think Masai Ujiri has done. No. And I'm with, I agree that you shouldn't trade Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant. I also agree that if then the nets are going to take a draft pick centric trade, I wouldn't take the Raptors offer just because I'd rather short like almost any other team's future than the Raptors because they're so good at just finding ways to add guys on the margins or add value with Masai Ujiri. Um, whereas if you're with Phoenix, who is set up really well at the same time, like historically they're a less trustworthy organization than Toronto. And so you'd rather probably be invested in their long-term draft picks than, um, than Miami's let's say, or even Toronto's. Yeah, that's a good point. So I gave them a B plus. You gave them a B to recap here very quickly. We, we both gave the Celtics A's. We both gave the Nets C minuses. Um, we both, <laughs> this is terrible podcast. And we both gave the Knicks C minuses. We both gave the Sixers a flat A. I gave the Toronto Raptors a B plus. Grant gave them a B. Uh, this was awesome. If this is your first time listening or checking us out, please subscribe to us on both your podcast player and YouTube. Smash the like buttons on YouTube to help the algorithm find us. Uh, follow us on the socials. Those are in the podcast description and the YouTube description. Join the Discord, both in the podcast and YouTube description as well. Until next time, Grant and I feverishly, feverishly leave you with a shout out to one, the only Frank Nielakina. <laughs>